At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. January 8th edition, aftermath of the wild card round. Busy day in the NFL. Been checking our traffic from time to time. Huge day. First Monday in a few weeks where there isn't a holiday that plops down on what otherwise would be a weekend aftermath. Hey, holidays, get the hell out of here. You're crimping our style. I'll take a holiday free Monday any day of the week. Big day. Oh, my God. Just checked it again. Yes, going to be a big day. Going to be a big day, and we still got about eight hours left in it. National Championship game tonight. That may slow things down a little bit, but you never know when the next job opening is going to be filled. You never know where the next intriguing storyline is going to emerge. And, you know, what I primarily try to do in this space, catch up on anything that may have happened since we went off the air at 9 a.m. Eastern with PFT Live. And also just kind of have a space where I can say whatever I want to say without having to worry about breaks or being interrupted or being censored. Not that I'm ever censored, but, you know, when I'm on someone else's air, I feel like I need to compose myself a certain way most of the time. Every once in a while, the devil on the left shoulder wins. But in a situation like this, I realize that I pretty much can say whatever I want, in part because I'm not sure that anyone's really listening, which kind of makes it even more fun. They'll be listening if and when I ever say something I really shouldn't say, but I'm not going to say anything that is going to get me in any trouble, as far as I know, at Old Takes Exposed. All right, let me start. Five down territory. And to the extent that you want to hear breakdowns of the game, reaction to what happened on Saturday and Sunday, for the most part, PFT Live podcast, three full hours, you'll get a lot of it there. I want to try to advance the ball and also react to the news of the day. In Green Bay, the Packers introduced new general manager Brian Gutekunst, who was kind of the surprise, maybe a compromise outcome, an effort by Mike McCarthy to avoid Russ Ball becoming the GM. Now, Russ Ball emerges with a new title. He's executive vice president, director of football operations, which is a little awkward because Elliot Wolf's already the director of football operations. But based upon the 35-minute press conference, that was held today with Murphy and Gutekunst, I don't think Elliot Wolf is going to be in Green Bay much longer. The winners, though, Gutekunst, he got the job. Ball gets a promotion. McCarthy gets the GM he wanted. And Murphy, Mark Murphy, the president of the team, is a winner. He's got more power out of this. He's now the one who directly supervises the head coach. He now has the hiring and firing power over the head coach. Six days ago, As they entered this search, and they created the impression it wasn't going to be done in six days. Murphy said, fire quickly and hire slowly. Six days. Now, part of it is there were plenty of candidates outside the organization that either weren't interested or couldn't get permission to interview. They wanted John Schneider. 
the Seahawks said no, and they were within their rights to say no, and apparently the Packers weren't interested in trying to finagle any type of a trade, and it's not really a trade in the classic sense, but with compensation, they could have tried to secure the ability to negotiate with Schneider about a return. That went nowhere. There was the effort to get permission to interview George Payton, the assistant GM in Minnesota. The Vikings are able to delay that but not prevent it. They didn't want to wait for the Vikings season to end. Then there was interest in interviewing Ravens assistant GM Eric DaCosta. I don't know how far that went, what the ultimate outcome of that was. That one just kind of died. So they had four candidates in the end, three of them internal, and ultimately, and here's where this becomes very incestuous and very intriguing. Jed Hughes from the Corn Ferry Consulting Firm, who's involved in a lot of these searches. Hughes was a consultant for the Green Bay search, which really didn't need a whole lot of effort because they had three internal candidates and one external candidate. But Hughes was running the Texan search. So they interviewed Gutekunst on Friday. On Saturday, he flew to Houston for an interview with the Texans on Sunday. He had dinner with Texans personnel on Saturday night, and lo and behold, the Packers hire him the next day. Now, I don't know what conversations Hughes and Murphy may have had about how serious the Texans were in Gutekunst, and shame on the Texans if they were overly candid with Hughes about how interested they were in Gutekunst because Hughes had a pipeline back to Murphy and somebody at some point got spooked. Somebody at some point came to the conclusion in Green Bay, if we don't act now, we're going to lose our ability to hire this guy. And the other intriguing aspect, Mike McCarthy was involved in all the interviews. He interviewed each of the candidates. See, McCarthy comes out of this with more power because now he reports directly to the boss. There are no layers. It doesn't go coach, GM, owner. It's GM, owner, and coach, owner. Independent reporting. Everybody wins, except Elliot Wolf. Everybody wins. Gutekunz gets the GM job. Russ Ball gets more authority and a higher title because they've essentially split the GM job into two functions. McCarthy gets more influence because the GM job is now diminished. You could argue McCarthy has more influence than either Ball or Gutekunst. He may not have more than the two of them combined, but he's got more than either of them individually. And then you've got Murphy, who is now directly involved in the supervision of the head coach. A major, major restructuring of the Packers front office that most people aren't going to know about. Most people aren't going to understand. Most people are just going to say, okay, they promoted a guy from within. They did so much more than that. So much more than that. And this really does alter the fundamental structure of the Packers front office. And Murphy is now much more involved. And, and, here's the thing. Murphy's now much more accountable. That's the problem with getting yourself too involved in the football operations. When you're not involved at all, well... If things are going poorly, we just need to fire these people and hire new ones. When you're involved and things are going poorly, your neck's on the chopping block as well. So interesting times in Green Bay, and I think they're trying to come up with a formula to get past this perception, number one, they don't spend on free agency, and number two, that they are satisfied and content to just make it to the playoffs and make it to the final eight 
and make it to the conference championship game. They haven't been back to the Super Bowl since 2010, and I think that that created maybe a sense that they needed to reshuffle. And I think McCarthy's power play from last week, when he went public and said, I have to have the right fit with the GM, he was trying to stave off what appeared to be a done deal. Russ Ball, the GM, and Brian Gutekunst becoming VP of player personnel, executive VP, something like that, where he's in a heightened role where he's the chief scout reporting to Ball. Now, Gutekunst is the chief scout, and apparently Ball reports to him, although based upon the way Murphy explained it, I don't know. Maybe there's a chance that Ball reports directly to Murphy, too. Got to find that out. So, regardless, a major, major change in the way the Packers are doing business. And a lot of winners. And the one guy who lost, Elliot Wolf, who there are reports suggesting that he's heading to Cleveland. There's no way he's staying in Green Bay. Not when someone else has already been given the title that you held. And what Gutekunst said, let me find the quote. Gutekunst said, I surely want Elliot to be part of this. He obviously has other opportunities. If he wants them, I'm very hopeful he'll be here. See, they're letting him go if he wants to go. They could say that he can only leave if he's going to be a high-level employee of another team. The Browns already have a GM. But they're going to let him go. Because when you look at the new structure, there's no, there's no spot for him. So Elliot Wolf, who at one point seemed to be destined to be the next GM of the Packers, will be a GM someday, just not with the Green Bay Packers. All right, let's move on to second down. Bill Belichick, still the Patriots head coach. And, you know, it was brilliant timing by ESPN to drop the story about dissension and dysfunction among and between Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and Robert Kraft on Friday because it dominated the day as I knew it would. And then it hovered over the weekend, as I knew it would. But once the Patriots came out hard, and this is the most upset I've seen the Patriots about anything since Deflategate. And three years later, I continue to believe that the Patriots got screwed, that at best the evidence was inconclusive, that there was cheating in connection with the inflation of the footballs prior to the 2014 AFC Championship game played in mid-January of 2015. And they were adamant, and they were strident, and they were right. Now, there was evidence of some fishy things happening, but shame on Ted Wells for not getting to the bottom of that rabbit hole. Inconclusive evidence. They had a conclusion they wanted to reach, and they worked backward to clumsily make the evidence fit the conclusion that was predetermined. I'm convinced of that, and nothing anyone ever says or does is going to change my mind. The point for these purposes... This is the most upset the Patriots have been since then. And you got Robert Kraft on the record loudly and clearly. He did not have an in-season meeting with Bill Belichick. It wasn't a half day. It wasn't a half hour. It wasn't a half minute. They didn't meet. They typically don't meet during the season. During the season, everybody is busy. And although Kraft is closely identified with the Patriots brand, and he works at Gillette Stadium in the Patriots facility, they have, as a family, plenty of other business interests. It's not just running the Patriots and nothing else. So Kraft is doing his thing. Belichick is trying to run a football operation, a major, sophisticated, intricate football operation. And Kraft 
essentially shouts from the rooftops there was no meeting, there was no mandate to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. And that's one of the things I always look for. When I'm trying to ferret out who's telling the truth and who's not, when you've got somebody on the record shouting from the rooftops this didn't happen, that persuades me. Now, that doesn't mean that 100 out of 100 times the truth is being told, but let me tell you, if you want people to believe you, you got to be mad and you got to be strident and you got to be adamant and you can't play that card all the time. People aren't going to believe you if you constantly deny everything that's ever said about you in a loud and violent way. You have to play that one selectively if it is a card that's being played. Or when someone does say something about you that didn't happen, you just come out and say it directly and passionately and persuasively. And again, first time in three years, the Patriots have been upset. Now, there are other little things they get upset about from time to time, but this was a big deal. And it started with a vague statement. It progressed to a joint statement from Brady, Belichick, and Kraft. And then when Kraft went on the record with Peter King, look, with no one on the record in connection with the ESPN article and Kraft on the record, I understand people have their employment interests at stake, and I understand it's hard to get people to go on the record, and I understand that off-the-record reporting makes the world go round. And I'm not one of these people that just looks down my nose at off-the-record reporting simply because it's off-the-record. There are plenty of people who have stories to tell, and they're telling truthful stories. They just aren't in a position to attach their name to it. But it advances the broader interest to getting the truth out. That said, when you have no one on the record... And Robert Kraft on the record, that's pretty persuasive. Now, cutting against that is Bill Belichick being Bill Belichick. And that's the news from today. Because Belichick finally meets with the media. First question out of the gates. Was there a mandate from Robert Kraft to trade Jimmy Garoppolo? And isn't that the spot where you just say, no, there was not. It was my decision. There wasn't a meeting. There wasn't a discussion. It was my decision. Here's what he said. I haven't read that article. I've already commented at length about that situation. Nothing has happened since then, so I don't have anything to add to it. Now, look, the ultimate disrespect of an article that you don't like is to act like you don't know anything about it. I haven't read that article. Well, first of all, you don't have to read the article to know that there's a claim in there that... Kraft told Belichick to trade Garoppolo. I have a feeling it's come up at some point in the last 72 hours at Patriot Place. I have a feeling there's been some discussion, some mention, some whisper to Bill Belichick that this article that everyone's talking about from ESPN claims that Robert Kraft told Bill Belichick to trade Garoppolo and that Belichick was furious and disheartened after the meeting. I have a feeling he knows. And look... I know a lot of times people try to undermine whatever platform it is that may attack them or question them by saying, I don't read that. I don't worry about that. I don't, I don't, I don't read what they say about me in the comments at PFT. Oh, and by the way, I don't read what they say about me in the comments at PFT, but don't you think for something like this, don't you think that Kraft would have found five minutes to read that article? 10 minutes max. I mean, I read it between 5.50 a.m. and 6.02 a.m. Eastern on Friday before we went on the air with PFT Live. I read the whole thing, and I am by no means a speed reader. It's long. You focus. You read it. 
And look, if you're the captain of the ship and the ship has some leaks, aren't you at least curious as to what was said? Don't you want to at least try to figure out who it is that's talking? I haven't read that article. First of all, I say bullshit. He's read the article. That's just his way of dealing with it. And second of all, that was his opportunity to provide the same kind of unequivocal response that Kraft did. There was no mandate. Now, I think that this is just Bill being Bill. And I think partially, again, you don't want to dignify the article by commenting on it. So he just doesn't comment on it. When what he could have said is, no, there was no mandate. Mr. Kraft said everything that we need to say. We issued a statement on Friday. I don't know that invoking his comments at length about the trade from November has any relevance here because I don't think anybody asked him, did Bob Kraft order you to trade Garoppolo? Now, pardon me while I take a little drink of water. Now, I tried to do that seamlessly, but it took too long. I got a cough button. I tried to press the cough button and drink the water. And as I was drinking it, I think this is taking too long. This seems like something more than a deliberate pause for effect. Belichick also was asked in the ESPN article last week, were you characterized as furious? Wait a minute. Let me try that again. Not were you. You were. Key difference. In the ESPN article last week, you were characterized as furious and demoralized following a discussion regarding the future of the quarterback position. Would that be an accurate characterization? Nice try, guys. Nice try. We're off to see the wizard. Carefully crafted our questions. Had all weekend to come up with questions. I don't know who asked this question. Oh, it was Mike Reese, our good friend. But that's okay. You got, look, you, you have got to cut with a scalpel with Belichick. The shotgun approach isn't going to work. The long question isn't going to work for something like this. Unless he just wanted to get him talking about it, saying anything. Here's what he said. First of all, I don't really know what you're talking about. I haven't read the article, so I don't know what that refers to. Look, Mike, we've been through this before, and I know you want to report on things that are inaccurate and unattributable, and I'm not really interested in responding to all of those random, and I would say in a lot of cases, baseless comments. How do you know if you haven't read the article? See, don't hide behind, I haven't read the article. If you essentially have read the article, or at a minimum, you've been briefed about all the salient points of the article. I have no problem with Belichick being upset. I have no problem with Belichick disagreeing. I have a problem with a disingenuous effort to avoid the question. Not every answer to every question, Bill, is going to, in some way, cause the palace to come crumbling down. There are ways to to answer questions that will give you a little bit of credibility, that will make you seem like a guy who gets it. And I wish he would have just come out and said what he believes. Not this parrying and thrusting and dodging and dancing that he does. Now, I know he has a strategic reason for everything, and maybe he's operating at five levels above where I am, and I continue to wonder whether or not his fingerprints were on some of this reporting. Some of these leaks were deliberate. Because he sensed dysfunction, he sensed disharmony, he sensed lingering frustration arising from the Alex Guerrero excommunication, and he thought the best way to get rid of that as the playoffs approach is to essentially clunk everyone's heads together and say, let's all have a group hug and let's recommit to winning another Super Bowl. That wouldn't surprise me if that was true. That's evil genius stuff, if it's true. 
But anyway, and you know what? Maybe, maybe it is true. Maybe that's the best way to understand why he said what he said. Maybe the best way to get distance from any suggestion that his fingerprints are on any of the leaks is to act like, well, I didn't read the article. Common sense would suggest that you did read the article. Maybe you didn't read it because you know everything it says. Right? Maybe that's why I didn't read it. I don't need to read it. I was the one that gave Seth Wickersham all his information. I don't need to read it. I know what it's going to say. It said exactly what I told him to write. I don't know where this goes from here. But Belichick also said he absolutely will be back next year. I reported Saturday night there's a 0.0% chance that he's leaving. At his age, 65. Not that it's that old, but... Are you going to go start somewhere else and you have to build from scratch the infrastructure that he's built over 18 years to get everything exactly where he wants it? You don't just walk through the door and everything is where you want it to be. And there's already an infrastructure of human beings in place. You don't walk through the door and fire everybody. You can't. You still have to run things. So you may want to turn over 99% of the jobs. What do you do? You can do that right out of the gates. You can do it in one year. It's not like a new presidential administration. You have to go in there and live with what you have and make it work with what you have. And it's going to take time to get to where you want to be. That means you're going to have to go in and work even harder. And he may sound too old for this shit. I'm not going to start from scratch. When I have everything exactly where I want it to be here in New England, we have the systems in place. We have the people in place. We have everything in here. I've been doing it for 18 years. Why do I want to uproot myself and go somewhere else? Now, the lure of being the first guy to ever win a Super Bowl with two different teams, I don't know. Maybe that's a factor, but I'd be shocked at this point if he leaves. And really, if he does leave after the season, there better be a damn good explanation from multiple different people about what the hell happened. Other than, well, we were just trying to hold it all together because we wanted to go out with a Super Bowl in hand. Before Bill and or Tom walked away, we wanted to make sure that we won our sixth Super Bowl championship. The Bears have one Super Bowl championship. It's from 32 years ago. They've been to the playoffs four times since Ted Phillips became the fourth team president, and they now have a new head coach. This one came out of the blue. The Bears have been looking for a week. They fired John Fox a week ago. They've had some interviews. They sat down with Matt Nagy, the offensive coordinator of the Chiefs, the day after the Chiefs blew a 21-3 lead because their offense couldn't do jack squat in the second half. They interviewed him on Sunday. He got the job on Monday. Now, look, I'm not suggesting that one bad game should keep a guy from getting a job. But was there anything that happened on Saturday that made Matt Nagy more desirable? And if anything, the allure of Nagy came in part from the fact that he could deliver Alex Smith. You don't need Alex Smith in Chicago. Unless with both Mitch Trubisky and Mike Glennon under contract, they want to go for a trifecta. I mean, they haven't had a quarterback worth a damn other than maybe Jay Cutler and to a little bit Jim McMahon since Sid Luckman. I don't think the idea is to go with three. I don't think they're going to try to emulate the Vikings that way. I don't think the goal is, hey, the Vikings have three potential franchise quarterbacks. We should have three as well. So Nagy and Alex Smith will not be working together next year. That's for damn sure. I almost wonder whether or not it made him more attractive because he's now less attractive to other teams. There's not going to be a land rush for his services, and the Bears can get him for whatever the Bears want to pay him. The Bears' job is a weird one to me because Ryan Pace is the GM, and I don't know how involved Ted Phillips is. 
And if I'm a guy with options, I want to know exactly what Ted Phillips does. I want to know how involved he is in football operations. I've heard that he claims he's not, and I've heard that he actually is. And look at I mean, Nagy must have been feeling desperate. Like, oh, my God, we pissed down our leg on Saturday against the Titans. We lose that game. He probably went to bed Saturday night thinking that the Bears were going to cancel the interview. Right? Oh, hey, Matt, sorry. We were interested in the Matt Nagy of the regular season. The postseason Matt Nagy, we don't want that. Now, look, we understand we don't get to the playoffs very often, but when we do, we'd prefer to try to win a game or two. So we'll just go ahead and let you continue to be the offensive coordinator in Kansas City. They swooped in at the perfect time. He's beaten down. He's demoralized. The next day, interviews with the Bears, and they're actually interested. Not only did they not cancel the interview, they like me. They're interested in me. What are you paying me? Hell, I'll take anything, as long as it's more than what I'm making now, or at least as much as what I'm making now. Because I may get fired from the job that I have. You've saved me from the ultimate indignity of being fired. Not that he was going to be. But think about that mindset. I remember back when I practiced law, and you know, it's funny, you hear stories all the time. Oh, that guy's never never lost a case. Oh, that lawyer, he's been... well, you know what? If you've never lost a case, you've never tried many cases. Because the only cases that go to trial anymore are the ones where you've got two diametrically opposed views. Because judges try to get these cases to settle. And if either side can objectively appreciate the risk of losing, if either side, well, actually both sides have to, the only way it goes to trial is if one or both sides is just completely hard-headed and views the facts and the value of the case completely differently. And there's no, and there aren't many cases like that. So my point is, Every once in a while, when you're in one of those spots where the case, according to the two lawyers, is black and white, there's a chance the jury's going to agree with not you. So bottom line is, this is all a long way for me to set up the fact that, yes, believe it or not, I did lose some cases in court. I won more than I lost, and I take some pride in that. I wasn't the Cleveland Browns. I wasn't quite the Patriots. And I don't want to say I was the Chiefs because that's not good right now. Closer to the Patriots than the Browns. I'll just say that. My point is, the day after losing, that would have not been a good day for me to make life decisions. You you view the world differently the day after you lose. I didn't have many days in my life where I had to experience getting out of bed the day after losing in court. But I had enough to know that I ain't making any big decisions the next day. Because somebody could have swooped in and offered to buy my law firm and I could go work in a cubicle at some bigger firm. And I'd have said yes, because the day after losing, you feel like you don't know how to do anything. Because what happens is you end up questioning your entire ability to assess what cases have merit and what cases don't have merit. Because you're all in. You believe in your client. You believe in your cause. And you got six strangers who tell you you're full of crap. And it's like, oh boy, I need to recalibrate my needle here. So the point is, if you're Matt Nagy, I don't know that, I don't know. (laughs) You know, the problem is they're squeezing you. Well, you know, if you say no, we've got other candidates. I don't know that that's the best way to hire a coach. I guess that's what I'm critical of. Not being critical here of Nagy, but from the Bears' perspective, I mean, is there some other candidate that they wanted that, this isn't like the Texans and the Packers where if... There's somebody else out there. It just makes no sense. None of it makes sense. Why did the Bears feel compelled to move so quickly after the Chiefs were eliminated 
And I don't know that you want to put Nagy in a position where, you know, he's got to make a quick decision. You want him all in. You want somebody who wants to be there. The problem is, I feel like the Bears fall into that category of jobs where if the candidate has other viable options, maybe the candidate doesn't want you. Or at a minimum, maybe the candidate is going to try to leverage you to pay more than you want to pay. So it may have been a very good short-term business decision by the Bears to act on Nagy as quickly as they did. Long-term, big picture, this may be one of the reasons why this is a team that's only been in the playoffs four times since 1999. Speaking of the Chiefs, there's been plenty of talk about whether or not Andy Reid should be gone as a result of yet another disappointment. There's plenty of teams out there that would love to get to the playoffs four out of five years. They would love to be able to blow a lead in a playoff game. They would love that. Fan bases. The Browns would take it in a second. They'd take seven and nine and no playoffs in a second. But the problem is, the more you get on the porch, but you're not able to approach the door and or kick it in, the more frustrating it gets. You know, think about it. Every year where you feel like your team is playing well, you allow yourself as a fan to buy in as the season unfolds, even if you've had your heart stomped on annually. And look at the Chiefs. I mean, yeah, they have a Super Bowl win dating back to 1969. But since then, they are underachievers. 1-11 in their last 12 playoff games. They haven't won a home playoff game since Joe Montana was the quarterback. And if I recall correctly, they were playing on shit green cement at Arrowhead Stadium at the time. 23 years later, they still haven't won a playoff game at home. And every year, you allow yourself to think, hey, this may be the year. Hey, oh, hey, we're pretty good this year. Look at all these star players we have. We were 5-0. and oh. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. And then you get to that round where it's single elimination, and you think this is the year it's going to be different. I think each year you lose, it gets a little bit harder. And at some point, ownership has that reaction that a lot of fans have. We just got to do something different. This coach has gotten us as far as he's ever going to get us. Now, I'm not advocating that with Andy Reid because of one thing. The decision to draft Patrick Mahomes. They gave up two first-round picks and a third-round pick to get him. He's ready to go. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of hope. And I think at a minimum, you give Andy Reid a year or two with Mahomes to see how it goes. And it very well may be that the Chiefs are just never going to be what their fans need them to be. A viable Super Bowl contender again. A team that can win a playoff game at home. It's one of the great home field advantages in sports. How do you ever lose regular season or postseason in Kansas City. And to have that game, 21-3, to and blow that game, I submit that it's even worse than the 34-10 to lead that was blown in Indianapolis because this one was at home. And this one came after. Stats pointed out today on PFT Live that Andy Reid has two leads in the postseason at halftime of 18 or more points that were blown. And the rest of the NFL combined historically in the playoffs, there are two total 18 or more point leads at halftime that have been blown. But with Mahomes, you don't want to screw Mahomes up. You don't want a new coaching staff. You don't want a new system. Mahomes has spent the whole year learning this one. Keep it going. But now with Nagy gone and Brad Childress retiring, they got some decisions to make. They got some things to do. They got some work to be done. But I don't think they should be changing coaches in Kansas City because of Mahomes. And I'm going to be excited to see what they do with Mahomes. Alex Smith, he's going to get traded. He's going to be gone. Mahomes is going to be the guy. The only way Alex Smith stayed, in my opinion, is if they made it to the Super Bowl or damn close to it. And if they keep Smith for another year, then you start have to 
you, you have to start asking, did they maybe get it wrong with Mahomes? Because you give up that much for Mahomes, he's your guy year two. He's got to be your guy year two. He should be your guy year one. And they should have put him in at some point when they were unable to get anything done offensively. But he's got to be your guy year two, or you gave up too much to get him. All right, last thing, the Cam Newton concussion evaluation. The NFL and the NFL Players Association launching a joint investigation of the situation, and they need to. Chris Sims and I argued about this on the air today. And Chris seems to understand what this all boils down to. He just doesn't want to agree with me that the objective evidence suggests that if we're going to err on the side of caution, we need to give Cam Newton a full-blown concussion evaluation in the locker room because that's one of the things. See, when the NFL got embarrassed by what happened with Tom Savage, the NFL reacted by saying, anytime you have a guy who is stumbling to the ground, he's going to be evaluated in the locker room. I had Julian Bales tell me several years ago that the ideal way, and really the only way to do a proper concussion evaluation, is to take a guy into the locker room, get him in a room that's quiet, have a comfortable couch, take off his shoulder pads and his jersey, give him something to drink, whether he wants something warm or whether he wants something cool, let him sit for a little bit and recollect and regather, and then you evaluate him. Now, I don't know how long it takes to do a full-blown locker room evaluation, but here's the problem. If you decide to do that in crunch time of a playoff game with a season on the line, if they'd have taken Cam Newton into the locker room, when would he have been available? He wouldn't have been available for the next drive where he led them right down the field for a touchdown that took a 31-19 game and made it 31-26. He may not have been available, assuming that Derek Anderson even could have scored the first touchdown. Newton may not have been available for the final drive. See, the NFL will never admit this. But the NFL understands that there is an asterisk that applies to the concern for the health and safety of players. And their asterisk is this. When you are in a key game, in a key moment, with a key player, and unless that player is knocked out cold, like Tyrod Taylor kind of was yesterday, I don't know if he was unconscious, but there was no way they were going to be able to let Tyrod Taylor remain in the game without, at a minimum, a full-blown concussion evaluation. He's currently in the concussion protocol, which means he has a concussion. But if there's anything short of something where the guy is teetering on the edge of consciousness or stumbling down like Travis Kelsey was, Travis Kelsey clearly on Saturday needed to come out of the game and not return. But with Cam walking to the sideline, taking a knee, sitting down, squinting with his left eye, squinting with his right eye, got poked in the eye, but then again, he's got a visor. Nobody knew what it was. See, if you're in that situation and you're manifesting those behaviors and no one knows what it is, you assume it could be a concussion. You got a guy who is the most impressive physical specimen in the entire National Football League. The first time I ever saw him, I thought he was standing on a stage, and he wasn't. He was standing on the ground. The guy is a giant. And if he physically can't make it to the sideline, he goes down to a knee and puts his head on the ground and sits there and they take off his helmet and he looks disoriented and he looks confused and he's not rubbing his eye the way that any of us would if we got our eyes poked. First reaction when you get poked in the eye, what do you do? You put the heel of your hand up there and you rub on it. I don't know why, but that's what you do. If he got poked in the eye, you rip the helmet off and you rub your eye. There was no evidence he got poked in the eye. Now, there's a theory out there that Cam Newton deliberately took a seat so Derek Anderson 
would have a chance to throw some passes and get his arm loose because he had to come in for a key third down play that ultimately went nowhere. But you know what? If you're going to manipulate reality to try to buy time for your backup quarterback to get in a few throws, in this environment, given the most recent changes to the concussion protocol, you're taking a risk that someone's going to believe that you're not just faking. That's the problem with faking. They may think you're not faking. So now the NFL looking into, I think, specifically the question of whether whatever they did in that blue tent was enough. And see, that's the other side of this, too. The Panthers say he got poked in the eye. Well, why is he getting a concussion evaluation then? Why did they do a perfunctory concussion evaluation? What was it? How many fingers? What day of the week is it? What all did they do? And did they even do enough? Was it just taking him in the blue tent just to placate people like me who would say, why didn't you go in the blue tent? Hey, Cam, we're in the blue tent. You okay? Yeah, I'm good. All right, we're out of the blue tent. Let's go. We got a game to play. And where's the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant in all this? You know, it's one thing for Russell Wilson to grab his helmet and run back to the sideline or from the sideline to the field without getting any evaluation. But the whole unaffiliated, independent consultant, that's supposed to be the voice of reason. That's the person who is there to overcome the inherent biases of being a team doctor. The moment the NFL started using, and, and I, you know, it's funny. When you hear unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant, right? The average person says, what the, does that mean? Independent neurologist was the term that we used to use. And you know what? I'm going to go back to using that term. Because the whole purpose is you have someone with independence. You have someone who isn't being paid by the team to provide treatment evaluation to the players. Don't we really? I mean, the fact that they use someone who's independent shows they acknowledge that there's a bias, that there's a conflict of interest, and that doctors realize that if you tell players what the teams don't want them to hear enough times, they're going to find doctors who will say and give the advice that the teams want them to give, which is play. Rub some dirt on it. You're okay. It's just a bruise. Go play. And the players want to hear that. So where's the UNC in all this? I mean, here's the thing. Because I, I love it when the reaction is, oh, Florio, what do you think you are, a doctor? No, I'm not a doctor. But I'd like to think that we've seen enough over the last decade that we know when someone's in distress because they're getting hit in the head. What happened? He got hit in the head. He was trying to escape a Saints defender. He turned, and before he could collect himself, he got splattered with someone's chest in his face. And then he's laying on the ground on one side. His arm was kind of frozen in place. He's, he squints with the left eye, squints with the right eye. He's walking off the field. He takes a knee. If you're not going to do a full-blown concussion evaluation after that, when in the hell are you going to do one? And, and I am sick and tired of this constant effort to try to figure out where the little, the little uh, marble is under the shell. And now, because here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. I don't know. God knows how long it's going to be. Hey, any update on the Cam Newton thing? Oh, no, we're still looking at it. Hey, any update on it? No, we're still looking at it. Hey, any update on it? No, we're still looking at it. Well, how hard is it to look at it? See, somebody suggested that the UNC should have to speak to a pool reporter when there's a situation like this. They're never going to let that happen. You know why? They want to make sure everybody has a chance to get their shit together before they go on the record with anything. We got to get our ducks in a row. Remember, the Saints in part got whacked for Bounty Gate because they got their ducks in a row. They used that phrase, we got to get our ducks in a row. The NFL, I believe, will always look for a way 
because the NFL understands what's at stake here. They understand that the future of the sport, to some degree, is going to be influenced by the perception that the NFL is serious about head injuries. In a situation like this, the NFL is only going to implement punishment if it has no other alternative. And even then, look at what the punishment was for the Seahawks. $100,000 fine? You think the Panthers wouldn't gladly write a check for the maximum fine for a first offense if it meant having Cam Newton available for the rest of the game, as opposed to Derek Anderson? who most people don't even realize is still in the league. So, bottom line, good. They're doing something about it. The reality is they would much rather have people like me ranting about a failure to properly protect the players who are involved in key moments, in key games, in key roles, in some sort of a head injury or blow to the head or possible concussion symptoms. They'd rather deal with me saying they didn't do enough than deal with all the other people out there who would lose their minds if Tom Brady, just think about it, the drive that resulted in the game-tying points in Super Bowl 51, he gets hit in the head and they pull him out. Oh, no, no, based upon everything we hear about Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe it would have been better. You take out the starter and you put in the backup with a season on the line, with a Super Bowl on the line, and it turns out the guy didn't have a concussion. We took him into the locker room for a full evaluation because we are on the side of player safety. And after full deliberation, we concluded, good news, Tom, you don't have a concussion. Bad news, you won't be getting another Super Bowl ring because you weren't available to help your team play. But, you know, safety first. They don't want that. And none of the doctors involved, they can they can, Hippocratic Oath, out the ass they don't want to be the one and this is one of the reasons why I think from time to time nobody presses the button to say get the guy off the field for an evaluation nobody wants to be the one who presses the button in a big spot you don't want your name getting out there because you know eventually their name's going to get out there oh it's Joe Smith he's a neurologist who lives in Charlottesville Virginia and uh, he practices with you know yeah, no, they don't want. What was it, Pete Morelli? After the Steelers-Colts playoff game in 2005, Pete Morelli's like a teacher in California. And after the Steelers-Colts playoff game in 2005, which the Steelers won, I think as a result of that Troy Polamalu call that would have iced the game, where he had the interception, but based upon the precise formulation of the catch rule, and Tony Dungy knew it. He knew to throw the challenge flag. At the time, you had to throw the challenge flag. Now turnovers are all reviewed automatically. Tony knew it was going to get overturned, and it did. And Morelli got a brick through his window, even though the Steelers won. No, none of these doctors want to be responsible for keeping a key player in a key moment out of a key game and having it perceived to be influencing the outcome of the game and the outcome of the season or the outcome of a Super Bowl. So the NFL will gladly listen to jerks like me saying they're not doing enough to protect players in those instances where the last thing they need is to be perceived as doing too much. All right, time to answer some questions. Oh, boy, 57 of them. I got about 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> uh, first one from Brocky Balboa, 52. How'd your fantasy team do this year? Asshole. Anytime anybody asks that question, the response is hashtag asshole. And oh, by the way, I don't know if you've noticed this. If I don't get to your question and I'm sufficiently intrigued by it to answer it, I will respond to it on Twitter. 
If I haven't responded, that means I got to it during the podcast or I just thought it was a shit question and I moved on. Let's just move on. At Terry Gensler. Why does Carolina kill their drives by throwing the ball to the end zone once they reach the 40? They did the same thing against Philadelphia on Thursday night earlier this season. You know, I don't know if it's inadvertent. I don't know if it's deliberate. I don't know if it's uh, – I don't know. But you're right. They're in a position where they can win the game. They're in a position where they can keep trying to get first downs, and all of a sudden they start throwing it to the end zone. And I'm still baffled. I'm still baffled by the notion that you throw the ball to the end zone and Devin Funches is right there and Funches has an opportunity to catch it. And I don't know, did he lose it in the lights? Did he think he was interfered with? We've seen so many athletic plays from so many receivers, whether it's tiptoeing on the sidelines, making a great catch, getting your toe in, dragging those little black rubber pellets up in the air. We've seen incredible athletic feats from NFL receivers. I think we've come to the point where we accept it. We assume it's going to happen. We take it for granted. Funches, he had a position to to get the ball, and I don't know what was going on. I don't know if he was surprised that the ball was where it was, but, boy, that was awfully close, awfully close to being one of the most memorable finishes in wildcard history. It would have been right up there with Owens, Owens, he caught it, he caught it. Remember that one? That was 19 years ago. It would have been right up there with that one. And all we would have been talking about all day long and into tomorrow and into the next day and into the weekend is Sean Payton deciding to go for it on fourth and two from the Carolina 47 because that gave the Panthers the ball back. And they had it at 31 because Mike Adams intercepted the pass and shouldn't have. But if you punt it, at worst case, you're on the 20. Maybe you get lucky and you pin him inside the five and they got the whole field to go. Next question from at... Nate Toth, is Andy Reid the Peyton Manning of coaches? Great regular season, not great in the postseason. I, you know, you could you could make that argument. Now, with with Peyton Manning, my argument has always been that he's so keenly aware of his legacy and how playoff performances, Super Bowls, big big showings in January, how that builds and cements someone's legacy. That maybe he cares too much, maybe he tries too hard, maybe he tries to do too much when we get to the postseason. That's always been my explanation for Peyton Manning. I don't know what's going on with the the Andy Reid coach teams. They've been to one Super Bowl. He's been one of the best coaches in the NFL over the last 20 years, and it's just not happened. And now two blown leads of 18 points or more at the half when the rest of the NFL through history has two total. That's a tough one to come back from, but I got every bit of faith in Andy Reid. And as I said earlier, I think with Patrick Mahomes in the garage and ready to go, that's the direction where they should uh, continue. Stick with Reed. I'm going to try to do a better job of reading these and screening these questions. I, the, you know, we, we, Here's the game. I, I don't look at them in advance. I just need to apply a little bit better judgment before I do because I'm skipping over a couple of these. I'm, yeah, I'm on to you guys now. Next one. At Black88 Elite... Would you say the Falcons are the team that fought and clawed their way into the playoffs and have been in playoff mode and therefore the biggest threat in the NFC? Yes, yes. And thank you, Daniel Williams, a.k.a. at Black88 Elite. I I, I always say that at about the time of Thanksgiving or thereafter, there's a team that realizes we got to slam on the gas pedal if we want to get to the playoffs. we got to win, 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 win. They get into those playoff-type games, 
and they're in a playoff mindset when the postseason rolls around. And now they go into Philadelphia. The one thing working against them now is the fact that they're favored to win. Because I think the Eagles are going to spend the whole week getting themselves lathered up into a frenzy. I don't know that it's physically going to be enough with Nick Foles at quarterback, but they're going to play the disrespect card, I guarantee you. And ultimately, that could make a difference. It may not be as easy as we all think it's going to be for the Atlanta Falcons. Or maybe they'll blow them out. Either way, the Falcons are coming in in full-blown, we've been in the playoffs for a month mode, and the Eagles had a week off. And and how hard did they really try to beat the Cowboys in Week 17? They didn't even score a point. But for that extra motivation that comes from everyone thinking that the Eagles are going to lose, which could make a difference, I think the Falcons are in a great, great spot. At Sergio D., Greetings from Australia. I read that you at one time had an aversion to flying. Given that you fly to Connecticut weekly, how did you get over this fear? You know, I hate talking about myself, but allow me to talk about myself. It just went away. It was September 2014. The first game of the season was Green Bay at Seattle. The Seahawks had won the Super Bowl back in February. So we had to go on site. And there's no train that I wanted to be on that was going to take me all the way to Seattle and back again, especially when you had to get back the next day because we had the regular season starting. And and I had had to fly a couple of times before that because, for example, there were league meetings in Arizona and I, I just, I, I, you know, I was just going to suck it up and fly. And there was a week one game in Denver the year after the Ravens won the Super Bowl and they couldn't play the week one game in Baltimore. So I had reluctantly flown four times back and forth to Arizona and Denver. On the trip back from Seattle, the trip to Seattle did nothing to change me. On the trip back, remember Paul Hicks? He was the NFL spokesman for a while. Father of Hope Hicks, who you may have heard of over the past several months. Paul Hicks and I were sitting next to each other on the plane from Seattle back to JFK. And we're having a nice conversation. This was like four days before all hell broke loose with Ray Rice. We're having a nice conversation. And at one point during the conversation, I happened to notice the plane was in the air. And at that moment, there was like a little switch inside my brain that just flipped. And I said, why do I worry about this? And that was it. I was cured at that point. It went away. It's been three years and three months. I was counted up today. I think I've flown 50 times in the last year. And I don't even think about it anymore. When the plane, yes, I don't. I, it used to be I had to have a little glass of red wine or two or three. Before, hey, hey uh, you know, when they come around and ask you for a drink, they, they ask you, well, like, one, no, can I, can I have a couple more? Can you just, like, bring the whole bottle of wine back here, please? With, like, a, 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 you know, like a nipple on top from a baby bottle, and I'll be good. Now, don't drink anything. And I fell asleep yesterday as the plane was getting ready to take off. It was only when they do that, that acceleration that I, I woke up. And even then, I just closed my eyes. So, I don't know. I don't know. I had no method. I had no hypnosis. I went to no seminars. I did no research. Although I had been hearing about how what got me on the plane the first time to Arizona was, you know, about all the track record and the safer and all that. That got me to go to Arizona and it got me to go to Denver and it got me to go to Seattle. But coming back from Seattle and every flight since then, it just went away. It went away. Like when Jerry had to pee when they went up to the girls' apartment so they could change out the tape with all the messages that George had left. And he said, you know, it's the damnedest thing. It went away. That's exactly what happened. I could have just said that. Sorry to monopolize your time with a stupid-ass story about myself. 
at Markman76, how long will Arians actually stay away from the game, maybe come back as an OC somewhere? I don't know that he comes back as an offensive coordinator. I could see him being a guy that ESPN considers for Monday Night Football. However, I have a prediction that what's going to happen with Bruce Arians, well, no, with Monday Night Football, is that they're going to promote somebody who's already under contract. I don't think they're going to hire somebody from the outside because it's going to be too expensive to hire someone from the outside. I think what they'll do is they'll make it such a desirable gig, and it is a desirable gig. It's the crown jewel of working at ESPN. So you're going to have people within ESPN jockeying for that gig, and they're, they're not going to care what it pays. They just want to be the one who from among their peers was chosen to be the analyst on Monday Night Football. So put me down now. I don't know who, but I predict it's going to be somebody who already works at ESPN as the successor to John Gruden. I'd love it to be Bruce Arians, especially if you give him a rum and coke. Rum and coke is what he says he drinks when he's not drinking. And, uh, you know, by the third or fourth quarter, it, things could get very interesting. But I think he'd be very entertaining. He'd be, be very good at it. Keep this in mind, too. The Cardinals, if they would want to play hardball, they hold his rights for however many years he had left under contract. So if he'd want to go back and coach somewhere else, they could argue they're entitled to compensation. And I recall back when we thought Bill Cowher was coming back after one or two or three years out of football, there were people in the Steelers organization whose mindset was, hey, if he comes back, we should get something because he resigned. And letting him just go anywhere else he wants to go, that's not fair to us because we had contractual rights. I mean, think about it. If Belichick would resign as HC of the NEP and then come back a couple of years from now, you think the Patriots are going to sit back and say, oh, that's fine. Go wherever you want. You resigned. No, they still have contractual rights. So keep that in mind if it happens. At Terry Gensler 14, in regards to asking a man nicknamed Stats for confirmation of a stat, I am not better than that. That I think that was... Uh, I gave him a hard time. I played the you're better than that card on Terry Gensler because he was the person who was responsible for guessing who it was that told me you're better than that. So that was something that came up over the weekend. Again, I, I think I need to, I think I do need to read these and select them ahead of time. I think this whole idea is going off the rails. At Rev Webster or Rev Webbs 2019, did the Bears make the right hire today? Jury's out on whether or not the Bears made the right hire. I Look, this is a team that hired Mark Trussman. So I'm not going to conclude that they made the right hire today. They're going to have to prove it to me with Matt Nagy turning Mitchell Trubisky into a great quarterback and turning the Bears into a contender. At Valley Man, 12% chance Christian Hackenberg is on the Jets' opening day 53-man roster. I I don't know because at what point do they admit that they screwed up with Christian Hackenberg? I mean, you never put the guy in a game? Never? I've compared it to the old Mark Twain adage that it's better to keep your mouth shut and be perceived a fool than open your mouth and confirm it. I feel like they think it's better for Hackenberg to be perceived a bust without playing than put him on the field and let everyone realize just how bad he is. Maybe that's part of the trade value. Maybe that's how you showcase him. You showcase him by never playing him. Well, you know, we're interested in your guy, but he's never played. Well, that's all right. Give us a give us an offer. Well, it would be easier if he had played. No, no, it wouldn't have been. No, no. no. But whatever you're thinking about offering us now, if you'd seen him play, oh, you, you wouldn't be offering that. So I don't know what's going to happen. At B-Flow, faux show, Bears, Nagy, Trubisky, Howard. Are they next year's Rams, McVay, Goff, Gurley? Calling it now, not even asking a question. Hey, Brady. This is supposed to be asking questions, not making declarations. Go ahead. We'll alert at Old Takes Exposed. You're going to say the Bears are going to turn it around in that division. 
with the Packers, who will be as good as ever with Aaron Rodgers back. The Vikings, who are still going to be tough to deal with. The Lions, who may have Matt Patricia as their head coach and still have Matthew Stafford. Yeah, go ahead and call that the Bears are going to turn it around and win the division. Good luck with that. Terry Gensler, 14. Do you think Tennessee needs an offensive-minded coach to help the career of Marcus Mariota? Will it be too difficult to move on from Malarkey now? Look, I, I, I saw the statement from Amy Adams Strunk the owner who runs the show in Tennessee. When it first came out, you know, it's like, okay, fine. They finally provided Mike Malarkey the clarity that he needs. The guy doesn't know. And he came out and said, no one's giving me any assurances. There's so much talk. When you have NFL media, which is partially owned by the Titans, saying that Malarkey's out if he loses and they may go after Josh McDaniels, that's the point where you have to say something. The problem, though, is, and it was a long statement, and I I wish I had realized it when I first read it, It took me a couple times before I realized that this really doesn't say anything. I don't know if you heard us talk about it on PFT Live today. I'm going to pull it up right now. Because the more I read it, the more concerned I am for Mike Malarkey losing his job if the Titans lose to the Patriots on Saturday night. Here's the key language in the statement. Bear with me here. Site is loading slowly, possibly, hopefully, because we have so much traffic today. The key phrase, just to eliminate any distractions moving forward, Mike Malarkey is our head coach and will be our head coach moving forward. It's just the fact that moving forward is used twice. And in the first instance, we want to eliminate any distractions moving forward. Well, the only thing that's relevant moving forward is next weekend game plus any other games after that. So you use moving forward in a context that is necessarily short-term at first, and then you use moving forward in the next breath. What does that mean? Does that mean he's the head coach this week? The head coach for the rest of the playoffs? The head coach for the rest of the calendar year? It's a very vague and confusing statement. And if I'm Mike Malarkey, I'm not so sure that I look at that and say, this has given me the peace of mind that I need. I don't think it does that. And if they lose by 20 or more points to the Patriots on Saturday night, I'm not ruling out anything. We've seen coaches get fired after losing in the divisional round. It hasn't happened for a while, but it's not unprecedented. And if they've got their minds made up that they're making a run at Josh McDaniels and they think McDaniels is interested... And they think they can get McDaniels. And here's how these things happen. I'm not going to suggest that it went as far as with John Gruden. I think Gruden and the Raiders had a deal in place, I believe, before Jack Del Rio got fired. I think with McDaniels and the Titans, maybe there's been some conversations with his agent. Maybe they have an idea that he would be very interested. Maybe they have an idea that he would be happy to reunite with John Robinson and coach Marcus Mariota. I think they know enough. Otherwise, look, this wasn't something that was said spur of the moment, seat of the pants. This was a statement that was written and crafted and read and revised and read and revised. And this is what they decided to go with, with unlimited time, unlimited opportunity to explore, to study, to decide what to do. They decided that's what they're going to go with. And I, it, it answers more questions. Wait, it raises more questions. Then it answers. Next question. At Mitch Larson, 58 thoughts on the Cowboys replacing any coordinators. They're not going to. Not offensive or defensive. 
They're just not going to. They're sticking with who they have. They got Kellen Moore coming back to be the quarterback's coach. And Kellen Moore and Scott Linehan have a very close relationship. It was a father-son type of a relationship. That's why people were so surprised when the Cowboys cut Kellen Moore. No one is surprised that Scott Linehan is going to groom Kellen Moore to be an NFL coach and make him the quarterback's coach with no experience whatsoever. Kellen Moore comes back to help get the most out of Dak Prescott in his third season. At Adero 7, do you think letting the Broncos players lobby to keep Vance Joseph sets a bad precedent for the organization? Is VJ still as highly regarded around the league after an unimpressive year one? Well, obviously the answer to that is no. You lose eight games by double digits, four by 20 or more points, no. You're not as highly regarded as you were a year ago. And look, players are always going to speak their mind. I don't know that this was about John Elway giving in to the players as much as it was John Elway not wanting to create the perception that he doesn't know how to hire a head coach because people already believe he doesn't know how to pick a quarterback. Other than having Peyton Manning choose you, I mean, it's not like that John Elway had five different alternatives for starting quarterback in 2012, and he said, yeah, I'll take a chance on that Manning kid. They were lined up to get Peyton Manning. Manning chose the Broncos. They didn't even negotiate a contract until Manning said, yes, I'll play for you. Beyond that, what has Elway done to find and to ensure the proper development of a young quarterback? I think that he decided to wait one more year with Joseph because it would be too glaring if Elway gave up on a coach that he handpicked one year after he hired that coach. At Dan Hall, 1981, would you go on a political podcast? I don't have one. Just wondering if you would talk about all your views publicly. I, I don't know that anyone on a political podcast would want me. Look, I'll tell you my views. Plain and simple, if I were going to categorize myself, I don't like the two-party system because when you sign on to a party, you have to sign on to every plank in the platform or you're not being loyal to the party. I don't like that. I'd like to think that we're more complicated as human beings than to line up behind one way of thinking. And my attitude is, and maybe this is apathy, but if anything, I'm probably closer to libertarian than anything else because I don't care. I don't care what you do, and I don't want you to care what I do. And I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, and I don't want you to tell me how to live my life, unless you're living your wife in, life in some way that is infringing upon my rights to be left alone by you. It's that simple. I'll leave you alone. You leave me alone. I'll go pursue happiness. You go pursue happiness. I don't want people telling me what to do, and I got no desire. It's one of the reasons I left the law firm I was working for. You know, if I hadn't left that law firm in 2000, March 1, 2000 is when I left. If I hadn't done that, I probably never would have gotten into this business. But the reason I left, ultimately, fundamentally, I had gotten to the partnership level. And when you are a partner at a law firm with 150 lawyers at the time, I'm sure they have more now, they want you to be involved in management. They want you to groom young lawyers. They want you to supervise other people. I'm not a very good supervisor because you know what? If you can't figure out what to do on your own, why the hell am I telling you? You figure it out. You ask me for advice, I'll give you advice, but I'm not going to tell you this is what you need to do. What you need to do is what you think is best. And if you have questions you want to ask me, I'm happy to answer them. But, you know, I'm not going to try to make somebody who has no interest in being what they need to be into being what they need to be. I'm not a drill sergeant. I don't, I don't, I don't want to tell other people how to live. You just live how you live and everything shakes out. And if you end up not being good enough to keep a job at a law firm that expects more, well, so be it. We tried. But, you know, people don't change because they have someone telling them change. 
And I don't know why anyone wants to waste their effort trying to make other people live their lives in a different way than they choose to live their lives, as long as they are living their lives in a way that does not infringe upon the rights of others. It's that simple. It's that simple. And everything I think about politics flows from that. Everything. So, and I I don't have a whole lot of taste for it because I think they're all liars. And I think that anyone who signs on for that life accepts the fact that there are going to be times you just have to lie. It's almost like with coaches, like you don't know where the line ultimately is and you don't know when and where you have to actually tell the truth. Everything is calculated. Every single thing. Well, what are we going to say here? Well, how are people going to react? What are the poll numbers going to do as a result? Just, just, you know, be authentic, be who you are. And I don't know. The best politicians are the ones who seem authentic, but I doubt that any of them really are. All right, enough of that. At uh, Hamspam, thank you, man. Is there truly a rift in New England and with Belichick leaving, or is he leaving? Why would McDaniels and Patricia be interested elsewhere instead of trying to take the Patriots coaching spot? Hey, Hamspam, thank you, man. That's a great question. And that's a point that I've been alluding to from time to time over the past couple of days. It's logic. right? I wrote an item on Saturday. Okay, if Tom Brady, according to the ESPN article, is now a believer in positive thinking... Why is he threatened by Jimmy Garoppolo to the point where he supposedly kept meeting with Robert Kraft and ultimately triggering the mandate to trade Jimmy Garoppolo? Tom Brady, for 18 years, has been a guy who embraces competition. Now, all of a sudden, he's threatened by a guy at a time when he is a purveyor of positive thought? It doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't make any sense that Patricia and McDaniels are thinking about getting away if Belichick may be leaving. The system's already in place. The infrastructure's already in place. Now, I guess you could say, well, if Kraft really has become a meddler at this stage of his career, you don't want to be the coach there. Well, okay, good luck going somewhere else where there isn't a meddler. And you've already got the systems in place to be successful. Yet the fact that it feels like Patricia is gone and maybe McDaniels, that tells me that maybe Belichick is going to do what Kraft told me back in March he wants him to do, which is coach into his 80s doesn't sound like a dysfunctional operation or it sounds like an operation that whatever dysfunction there is like any other organization they figure out how to manage there's no perfect family there's no perfect organization there's no perfect workplace there's going to be a level of dysfunction and human beings mature human beings need to know how to get along and you find a way to to work around the personality glitches that may cause interpersonal conflict from time to time. That's normal. Anytime people are together in the same place for an extended period of time, there will be some glitches. How you get through them is the key. Next question. I got to wrap this up. Next question. At Dustin Miller. the commissioner just got a huge new contract, but the officiating sucks. The concussion protocol is a joke. TV numbers are down. What exactly is the commissioner's job? Is he doing anything about any of this stuff? You know, I talked earlier about politics and how everything seems to be calculated by what the reaction is going to be. I feel like so much of the NFL's PR function right now is is based on how are people going to react? How, how is this going to look? And decisions are being made not based on what's right for the league long term, but how it's going to look in the short term. That's one of my issues with it. And, you know, there has been a push by the league, and the numbers bear this out, that even though the ratings are down, football, specifically NFL football, is still doing better relative to the other TV offerings. The audience has become fractured. People aren't watching TV like they used to. Certain networks are in fewer homes than they've ever been in before. People are opting for streaming services like Netflix and Hulu. And so TV viewership is down. But 
among the shows watched on TV, the NFL is up. See, as TV viewership generally dissipates, the one thing that still still pulls together a live audience, a large live audience, is football. And that makes it, to a certain extent, more valuable. And, and this is where it's going to be very fascinating when it's time to work out the next wave of broadcast contracts because relative to other TV content, the NFL is more valuable than ever. But all TV content is less valuable than ever because TV has become less relevant. And how, if you're the NFL, do you properly leverage these alternative services? And look at the experience they had in Canada, and there's been complaints about Europe. And there's been talk about the NFL eventually maybe having their own. Cut out the middleman. Sell content straight to the consumer. Make games available to be purchased, not through DirecTV, not through a cable provider. NFL.com, you know the Game Pass feature that allows you to go back and watch any game you want? Real time, Game Pass. Watch the game now. Watch whatever game you want. Just have your phone, your tablet, your desktop, whatever. Your TV that's connected to the internet, whatever you need. Don't sell to Fox, NBC, ABC, CBS, ESPN, whatever. Just sell directly to the consumer. I think everything's on the table moving forward. And there's a point where TV gets so small that it's no longer as viable financially as it once was. But but where's that money come from? Where do those audiences come from? I think one of the things we overlook when we talk about NFL on TV, what can deliver the biggest possible audience? And it's still broadcast three-letter network over the air. There are still millions of people who don't have internet who don't have cable, who don't have satellite, who rely upon the free airwaves, the FCC-regulated ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox airwaves. There's always going to be value to the NFL. I mean, think of it this way. Football is a three-hour infomercial for the NFL that someone else pays them billions to televise. So, yeah, you can make more money in theory selling it to Amazon Prime or selling it to Yahoo. But if the people aren't going to cluster around those platforms the way they cluster around a TV, how does that advance your sports interests? They got to have a broadcast component, and they know it. But they also have to generate the revenue that they need going forward, and they know that too. It's not going to be easy. It's one of the challenges for the commissioner going forward. All right, let me take one more. At RMW2, is the NFL still recording PSI before, at halftime, and after games? Would like to see the stats. Well, you know what? That's a good question. It's come up several times in the last couple of weeks. We're coming up on the three-year anniversary of Deflategate. What the NFL did in 2015, they took comprehensive PSI measurements at games. And it wasn't every game. There were select games. But they never gave out the information. And I believe the reason they never gave out the information is there would have been a game at some point with conditions similar to the AFC Championship game from three years ago, and the numbers detected at halftime would have been similar. Because I continue to say, if there was actual tampering with the footballs, when you compound that with the atmospheric conditions, there should have been 11 of 12 footballs at 2.0 PSI or more below the 12.5 minimum. There should have been. There wasn't. They all fell within the range where they would have been based upon the conditions, the ideal gas law, PV equals NRT. And the NFL is keeping that stuff under wraps because the NFL knows that the moment that stuff got released, the conclusion would be that the outcome of Deflategate should have been the evidence is inconclusive as to whether or not the Patriots cheated in connection with the AFC Championship game. All right, that's it. Enjoy the NCAA Championship game tonight. PFT Live returns on Tuesday morning, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern. I'll answer any of the questions I didn't get to on Twitter, via Twitter. 
I'll answer them on Twitter. The questions from Twitter, I'll answer on Twitter. The other ones that I've answered now, you've gotten your answers. I hope you're happy. I always hope you're happy. I care about your happiness. That's all I really care about. See, maybe I could be a politician because I'm as full of shit as all of them. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. Cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.